Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, folks, gas and diesel prices have hit all-time highs yet again. It is remarkable to think about this. Diesel prices have topped out at last check, $5.54 a gallon. Gas prices, $4.37 A gallon, of course, this is probably going to continue. Who knows? Continue going up. There's, At some level, there's no reason for it not to. There's no reason for it not to. There's all the pressures are pushing these things upward. And, of course, you know, you're left with the reality, the reality that the people in charge of government policy right now either don't know how to fix this problem or they know how to fix it and are either – ill-equipped, or completely content with gas prices skyrocketing. This is absolutely disastrous on the American people, and this is no longer no longer something that can... Well, it's not been avoid, uh, avoidable for some time. By the way, let me pause there. Email address, folks, um, where you can send your thoughts, opinions, feedback questions, all that sort of stuff. Adoration and praise always accepted. Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. That's my email. And for those of you that I hear from, I appreciate the emails. I do my best to get back um, to those as, as quickly as quickly as possible. But a cup, it's, it's so bad out there, economically, well, not just economically speaking, culturally speaking. We got, Of course, we've got pressures being placed on the Supreme Court justices of the United States by radical extremists who don't believe in protesting but rather in intimidation and shakedown methods which is what's happening nothing of course is really being done about this although the administration recently acknowledged that um, this cannot be allowed to happen this should not happen which is a major admission when a healthy chunk of the democrat party base which is again not the majority of democrats but a healthy chunk healthy chunk of the Democrat base are uh, composed of the radical, extreme radical leftists. And, of course, the Democrats don't want to come out and, uh, well, say bad things about their base. And so they don't until it's so unavoidable. It's so bad politically, which we um, referred to in yesterday's program, which we when we talked about um, a CNN generic ballot poll that saw Republicans jump from a one-point advantage to seven-point advantage, which is enormous, an enormous amount of, <laughs> I don't, these aren't horse races, folks. There's no, there's no such thing as a lead. We, there's, there's no votes that are being cast yet, well, legally. There's no votes that are being cast other than maybe primaries. I mean, in, in as far as the general election is concerned. Um, so this uh, there's no it's not a horse race. It's not. By the way, the Kentucky Kentucky Derby 
over the weekend. I did not talk about that. That was, if you want an inspirational story, that is it. That is it. Last minute entry, 80, was it 80 to 1? The odds of this horse uh, winning the Kentucky Derby was down massively coming into, what, turn three and out of turn four and closed on the rest of the field as though that field were standing still. Uh, still, I, I have experience with, with horses. I was a horse farmer for some time, believe it or not, when I was a younger man. Now, the racehorses that we uh, had on the horse farm were not thoroughbreds. They were standard-bred uh, trotters primarily, although we had one pacer, one pa- retired pacer, and they raced here locally um, at Anderson. It was at Hoosier Park. And I remember one time going down to the winter circle <laughs> with one of our horses and then Cosmic Crunch. This has been some time ago now. Probably, I'm going to guess 2000, around two, about 20 years ago, probably 2002. Anyway, but you look at that that race and the way that the Kentucky Derby was run, but elections aren't like that. Right, we have um, right. What's happening right now is just is polling, is uh, political discourse, is posturing, is you know trying. We've now gotten into really kind of the meat, the early stages of the meat of the political season, which we've got still until November. So we've still got what seven, six months, I guess, six months um, until. Until election day, which is an eternity in politics in one sense, but in another sense, this is not that far away at all. And a lot of these things, a lot of the conditions, a lot of the radical concepts, the economy, um, a lot of these things are, they're not going to, they're going to be issues coming into the 2022 midterm election. And things are so bad, and I got a soundbite here from. <laughs> Biden, President Biden, out there acting as though he's just gotten the memo here that costs need to be lowered, that inflation needs to be tackled. I'm looking at a uh, some graphics that he's that's uh, behind him. It looks like lowering costs, tackling inflation. Um, that's that's the they they want you to think they want voters to think that this party has you know these are. This economic situation, these circumstances have been thrust upon us by factors and situations that we never could have predicted. They were, you know, completely just something that no one was telling us about. Of course, that's not true. In fact, even if you listen to this program, I'm not an economist. In this, I, that's not my field. But I have since, you have since, we can see policies we understand what policies are that are helpful to the u.s economy and what is hurtful to the u.s economy this is not complicated right when you have people in positions of power in the government who are talking about i don't know raising taxes who are talking about i don't know not just talking about but also presiding over open borders so presiding over supply chain crises, which, incidentally, not every problem that happens in this country can be laid at the foot of the President of the United States. But we have to ask, what is the President doing to help the situation? And, candidly, 
This president has either not done anything or has taken steps that only make the problem worse. And here we are. And it's interesting, as we enter this political season, as we've been talking about just kind of the unavoidable nature that the Democrats own this. Biden actually admitted this, admitted this, I think this was yesterday, again, talking about inflation, talk, talking about lowering costs for Americans. Again, this is like a, an epiphany, or dare I say an epiphory, as Michael Scott would say from the office. But Joseph Biden, President Biden, is almost acting as though he's just becoming aware of this problem. Of course, he blames Putin for this, which again, to act like the invasion of Ukraine did not have any impact on, um, say, the increase, uh, increase in, in fuel prices is not, that's, that's not correct. Of course, it had an impact, but prices at the pump were going up pretty much the day uh, from the day Biden walked into office, if not the day Biden uh, won the, the election. Um, and so we have to ask ourselves why. And, and look, at the, look at the position this administration has taken on uh, drilling. Look at the position this administration has taken on gas-powered vehicles. Look at the standards that have been set, which, of course, cannot be laid strictly at the feet of Joseph, uh, President Joseph Biden, but they can be laid at the feet of a lot of Democrats. And candidly, there's some Republican blame to go around here as well, these cafe standards. Um, none of this stuff is helping make people who are in the business of delivering oil to the market um, really having anything go in their favor, whether it's um, just the, the, the regulations or the, the stopping of the Keystone XL pipeline, which, again, it's, it's maddening. I love how people talk as though you know, these situations and economics are, um, they're fixed, right? Well, that oil, Todd, was actually to get from Canada to the Gulf and it was being transported to Europe or wherever. Um, the main problem that we have with, with oil prices right now, it, it's a supply side problem. Supply chains have been disrupted for several reasons. And, but, but let me also add to that, government taxation and government regulation. Again, as I said off the top, gas and diesel hit all-time highs. We're sitting at all-time highs. And why? Why? Again, there's some things that are unavoidable, but that's not necessarily the majority. In fact, I would say that it's certainly not the majority. Policies, fears, um, companies taking action or refusing to act in ways that they would in an economy that they felt more comfortable in taking risk and developing, um, you know, other ways of maybe developing other oil fields or whatever. These things in an economy that's run by leftists who hate your industry, they've made it abundantly clear that they do not care about the oil and gas industry. They do not care about the people who work in those fields. They don't care about any of that. What they desire is for the internal combustion engine to be done away with tomorrow. Um, actually, yesterday, if they, could, if they could make that happen. They don't care. You, there's, there's Democrats on record talking about um, high gas prices with some 
I mean, a little bit of glee in their voice. They talk about it fondly as though it's a good thing. And so when those are the conditions of those in political power, it has a negative impact. You don't, to pretend that it doesn't is, is truly living under, under a rock. Um, so there's that factor. And then, of course, just the general climate, right? The climate of the economy in general. Um, talk of spending more money. Talk, of course, you listen to these radicals talk about doing things like defunding the police. This, this destabilizes the way that markets think about things. This makes risk takers and entrepreneurs and people who are you know, trying to make sure that they continue to be profitable. These, these folks, when they see unnecessary risk or regulations or burdens or red tape hurdles placed between them and what they need to do to continue to grow their business to meet demand. I mean, they take inventory. They have to be extra cautious. Sometimes they take extra time. Sometimes they cancel projects. And all of these things factor in to this problem. Plus taxes. I didn't mention taxes yet. If you want to blame big oil, I'm not here to defend big oil or big business or whatever. But as a percentage, if you're going to blame big oil and not put any blame at the feet of the state, local, or federal government, that is beyond delusional to me because they make much more on a gallon of gas than does an oil company. So anyway, the point is all those factors, and I just touched on some, there's, there's many more, but all these factors point to the reality that this situation is unavoidable the economy is truly 100 percent as much as let me say this as much as things are the fault of people at this particular point in time the fault of the people that that are well the people that are at fault today are democrats because they're running the show and it's so bad that even biden himself admitted this yesterday here's about a 20 second clip of him admitting of him admitting that people should be, the Democrats do take responsibility or should take responsibility for this. This is, this is an incredible admission for a president to make in an election year, in a midterm where his party is statistically going to be shellacked as it is, just that it's being, you know, it's, it's a midterm election. But to make it as clear and as obvious as he's made it here, I mean, this should be a political ad for every person running as a Republican here in 2020. Here it is. Why, why do you believe so many Americans believe that your administration is not doing enough to combat inflation? That's and a do question. you believe that you and your administration bear some measure of responsibility for the inflation that we're seeing across the country? First is we're in power. That's the first thing. We're in power. And you justifiably right, we control all three branches of the government. Okay. Now, I don't know what he means when he says we control all three branches of government. Um, I don't know if he's temporarily confused there, thinking that the presidency is a branch, the Senate's a branch, and the House of Representatives is a branch, because that's not accurate. Um, the Supreme Court is one of the three branches, just to be clear. And as it now stands, the Democrats, uh, neither the Democrats nor the radical left, are in control of the Supreme Court. They certainly wish they would uh, would be, and that's why they're talking about expanding the court and all this sort of stuff. 
Um, but to his point, they are in power. They are in positions of power to actually create legislation and create policy, sign it into law, and make it, you know, the, the well, and, and lead this nation, right? And develop uh, policies, you know, work on just trying to, on a very macro level, creating circumstances, creating confidence that the private sector can then trust and act accordingly. And the private sector is going to be the one to dig us out of this. Make no mistake. The private sector will fix this. But you have to give the private sector a chance and the confidence to do this. By the way, if you want to compare and contrast, just look at what happened in Trump's first year, second year, all four years for that matter, compared to what Biden's uh, first year, I mean, it seems like he's been there for 20 years, but his first year, look at that and just see the, the response from the business community. Look at the, the response is, it could not be more different. The business community understood that Trump understood these things. They took great confidence in that. They don't take confidence that Biden understands or cares or has their best interests in mind, or is even remotely concerned with the pressures and realities that business uh, businesses face today. And they act accordingly. And to act like that's not a factor, or even the <laughs> one of the primary factors of consideration for people running businesses in this country today is just incredibly naive. It really is. So, it's so bad, Biden is now having to admit this. And this should be, I think, maybe on every, every single campaign here as we get into the midterms. I've got to take a time out, my friends. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not better talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Back, my friend. So Biden has admitted that the Democrats deserve blame for inflation for the economy. They're in power. He erroneously said they control all three branches of government, but his point is well taken. They're in control. They are in control, and we have an utter disaster that has ensued in this great nation. So the White House is continuing to blame Putin, to blame everyone else for the high high gas prices and uh, inflation and all this sort of stuff. But even the fake news media <laughs> is um, no longer buying this. They're no longer buying this. Um, I forget who's the... There was a fact-checking group... Thought it was in this article. It looks like I've pulled the wrong one up here in my stack of stuff. Uh, but there was a, a, a fact-checking organization that said, "Look, this is oh, I know what it was. It wasn't on inflation uh, and gas prices. It was on mischaracterizing Republicans and their tax policies, which Democrats are now saying, of course, uh, because of Rick Scott. Rick Scott came out, and I've played this. I think I played this sound, but I'm pretty sure I did. I know I at least had it queued up." A couple of weeks ago, Rick Scott came along, Senator, state of Florida, and said, you know, we've got to get to the point where everyone is paying something in taxes. Now, 
Democrats have taken this and said, oh, Republicans want to raise taxes on 75 million homes, I think is what it is. But what Rick Scott said was that everyone should have, uh, should pay some, some taxes, some federal taxes, which I think is, <laughs> look, I'm a low-tax guy, right? I believe that we should have minimal government uh, involvement, minimal government programs and things that they want to use our money for. But when we reached a point that over half of the country pays all the taxes, and it's even worse than that the higher up the, the brackets that you, that you go, the idea that, that says, and Rick Scott said this, I think he said, I don't care if it's five bucks. We can't have a, a situation where we have people who aren't paying anything whatsoever and are demanding other services that are effectively being that other people in the minority, a smaller, not, not a racial minority or an ethnic minority, just in a, I guess you could say an uh, income minority in the sense that they are in a higher bracket, um, they make more money. Which, of course, if you're a leftist, you're supposed to hate these people for that. I don't, again, that, that, that kind of stuff is just, we got to get past that in this country, my friends. I mean, this class warfare, you know, racial tensions, all this sort of stuff um, is not conducive to a healthy, healthy society. Um, but, of course, they, they use this, politicians use this to, to get votes and to campaign and to pit people against each other. It's a powerful form of politicking. It really is, and I don't, I don't condone it, but, I mean, they're, they're sly, they're slick on how they do this. Um, but Rick Scott basically is saying, look, we can't have, we can't have Americans not paying any income tax and then basically mandating to those who are paying taxes that they effectively they're redistributing their wealth. And that's, that's not good either. I mean, I think, I think it's reasonable to say that, um, that if you want to, I, if, if you're a shareholder in a company, right, you own, you have an investment at stake, then you, then you can have a voice, right? You can, um, you can, you can have a voice and a vote in that, in that company. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that, I'm not saying it should be a, an actual requirement, but when we have circumstances that say half the country isn't paying, whatever it is, the actual number, more than half the country isn't paying anything in federal income taxes, um, that's, that's a problem. You, you don't want, you don't want a situation where the majority of your shareholders aren't contributing to the government that, and then they get to determine what's done uh, with the money, which of course is usually to tax people more because they don't care if others are taxed more. Some people don't anyway. And this is just not a healthy way to operate. So anyway, the fact checker said, hey, Biden, President Biden, we can't even say, we're going to have to come out here and say that your depiction of Republicans wanting to raise taxes on middle-class Americans is really not true. It's only one senator that said this. In fact, Mitch McConnell came out and said Republicans are not going to touch that with a, a 10-foot pole. Um, so it's not a Republican policy. So the point is, Biden is running out of places to go for support, which they are accustomed to doing. He is a half-century, folks, of, of this. He's used to getting support from the Democrat Party, the radical left, um, the media, and all this 
sort of thing. And he's not even getting the support of his own speechwriters or <laughs> right the, his own his own comments, as I played last segment, are actually damning to him and to his administration. So, what are the Democrats going to do? And we've touched on this a couple of times. I know some people think Biden isn't going to complete a four-year term. That's certainly possible. Um, but his sister's now, <laughs> Biden's sister's now out there saying he's absolutely, absolutely running for re-election. Fox News is reporting that. So then what happens now? I mean, the Democrat mob bosses, I'm talking about the ones who are at the upper echelon, the decision maker, the power brokers, the big money in the Democrat party, the ones who like to act as rebel rousers and get the, um, you know, people to go out and and protest or not just protest, but intimidate um, justices and riot in the streets in, well, where Black Lives Matter peaceful protests start off. And then, of course, there's, there's violence and calls for defunding the police. They love this instability because it gives them an opportunity to insert a new way of doing things, which, of course, is globalist, is socialist, is, is just anti-American. But what are they thinking about this, right? I mean, are they going to put their chips back on Biden again and say, well, this guy's going to run as our nominee? <laughs> are they going to take the effort to find a replacement? I want to talk about this after the break because I know they're talking about this. They're already... They're already well into their strategy on this. But what are, what are their options here? I mean, they've got the guy out there saying, yeah, we're to blame for this, <laughs> heading into the midterm elections. They've got a vice president who is possibly, well, I think she's definitely more disliked than Biden. Um, she's not quite as, I mean, she doesn't say things that are quite as atrocious, so I don't know, as, stupid i guess sometimes as what some of the things biden says i don't know how to say that nicely um she certainly does say things that are ridiculous thinking of the space speech here a couple of weeks ago we're all in space we share space we live in space we're all traveling through space and she looks at the crowd like that's some sort of a profound statement i mean what are they going to do is the point, right? What are these power brokers, these Democrat mob bosses at the upper echelon level, what are they going to do here? Talk about that after the break. I'm going to get into other things as well, including some of the stuff happening with these Supreme Court justices. There's uh, some uh, a piece of legislation that was passed in the Senate that I want to talk about briefly, but I got to take a time out. Long in this segment, so type my friends back in just a minute. <laughs> my friends. So what are the Democrats, the high level, big money, radical leftists running uh, the party behind the scenes? What are they supposed to do? Now, I, I say that, and I've, I've made it clear that I think that the rank and file Democrat is not as radical, obviously, as the party leadership, the, the, even as the, the faces of the party, right? The, the AOCs, the Chuck Schumers, the Nancy Pelosi's, um, the squad, the Cory Bushes, um, Ayanna Presley's, these sorts of individuals. Um, I say that, <clears throat> and 
I think it's absolutely true. But there are still some old school, traditional liberals in the Democrat Party. And by comparison, <laughs> by comparison, um, you know, I would welcome a party full of traditional liberals. I don't mean, uh, you know, there was a time when if you said I'm a, a true, um, what do you say, historical or traditional, there's a word that I'm, there's a better way to say that. But used to that meant an, a limited government person a long time ago. I'm talking about a, a, a modern era um, Democrat, liberal, a liberal Democrat, right? It would be a, a breath of fresh air if that's what we were dealing with again, but we're not. We're dealing with radicals. And it's not, it's not all of them, but it's enough. It's enough in the upper echelon. It's enough who are the names and faces and driving forces within the party to really make a dr- dramatic difference. In fact, one of the things I've got queued up here that I'm not going to have time to get to is a, I think, a, it's, it's someone in government who's a Democrat from the state of Maine. She's a 29-year-old. Um, she's a 29-year-old. I want to say she's a representative. It's, she's in Maine. And she's, uh, she was on Fox recently, Fox News, and she said, look, the Democrat Party has forgotten people in flyover country and the heartland, this, uh, rural America, I think is what she said. And she's right. She's right. Um, and they don't care. They think, they think that they kind of own that, um, a certain demographic of, of people maybe the union Democrats or teachers who are part of the teachers union or whatever, and they think they don't have to keep them anymore. They can go left, and these folks aren't going to leave them. And I think folks in those, um, you know, common sense Democrats should really reconsider their options here. But the Democrat mob bosses, the ones that like the chaos and the turmoil and and pushing things left, what are they going to do? Are they going to put their chips back on to Joe Biden, and are they going to try to fend off anyone that's challenging him in the primary? Because that's totally possible, my friends. A primary for a sitting president. Now, technically, Trump had one in 2020, but not anything, not anything that amounted to any legitimate challenge. There have been examples of this throughout history. Uh, you can think back to 1976 with Reagan. I mean, Reagan came very close to being the Republican party's nominee to run against carter in 76 he did not win the nomination until 1980 but carter of course won the election in 76 so it was um gerald ford who was the sitting president of course won the nomination and lost to carter in 1976 and then reagan came on the scene in 1980 as the nominee anyway um i point that out to say that this stuff has happened before where a sitting incumbent president can be primaried. But, you know, that's going to be metaphorically a, a bloody fight, right? I mean, we're going to have, we're going to have a president who's, if he has to, if he is facing a, a Republican or a, a um, Democrat challenger in the primary, it's almost certainly going to be someone to the left of him and they're going to attack him. And, it's just not going to be pretty. And I think that they know he's already very, very vulnerable. So do they prevent that from happening? Do they prevent their, do they put their chips on Biden and make sure no one 
mounts an actual primary challenge. Um, but there's a problem with this. I mean, at least one problem. There's no way that they are content with Biden being the nominee in one sense because they know how incredibly unpopular he is, and we still got a long ways to go before he's back on the ballot. He's only going to be less popular at that point. So do they then go out and find a replacement and either get President Biden to agree to only run a one-year, uh, you know, serve as one term, one term as a president? Do they go out and find someone in the primary to beat him up again? Um, that pre- presents problems because whoever the other person or group of people are who are trying to challenge Biden in the primary, if that does happen, there's going to there's gonna be political collateral there as well. And Biden's going to have to fight for his position and he's going to have to depict these people as radical leftists in some way, which is going to put more pressure on those common sense Democrats who I'm trying to speak to and, and explain and, and just get them to consider, you don't have to come, become a Republican today, but just consider what the real options are here to watch your country become something that it never was intended to be by voting for these Democrats who become, you know, even if they're, they want you to think they're moderates, even if they campaign as that, they are in practical terms radical leftists that are moving this country straight down the sewer drains. And we know that. And this average everyday people know this. So what are they going to do? It's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, they're not excited to put Kamala up there. If they want to bring in a, a, another nominee, who is that? And then you've got the people who are traditional liberal Democrats who are big money and have influence. They don't want to see the party go further left. That's, I don't know what that percentage breakdown is because a lot of those folks are radical leftists. Um, at least at that at that level. But there's also a healthy representation of, of just liberal Democrats, and they don't want to see it go that far. It's just interesting to think about, and this whole thing is, I mean, a metaphorical dumpster fire here right before our eyes. And it's all, as Biden said earlier as I played that clip, it is all courtesy of today's Democrat Party. Quick time out, my friends. Back here in just a minute. <laughs> Welcome back, my friends. Did you see yesterday, I think is when this happened, Senate approves a bill to beef up security. I'm reading here from WUSA9.com. This is just one of the uh, news, what is this, eyeball news or whatever, CBS. Um, This is apparently they've finally decided, the Senate, that the Supreme Court needs additional security. And if you read this, and, and I want to, <laughs> I just want to point this out. I, I haven't, I'm not, I don't know all the details. There's obviously a lot of information on stuff like this, but I've read this in more than one, more than one source. I've read this in two sources. And it actually says the bill, I'm picking up here where there's a sentence here I want to read to you. The bill would put the court on par with the executive and legislative branches, meaning they didn't have the same level of security. <laughs> I, I just, I can't even understand this. So you, you have, think about this. You have 
two branches of government. Well, you have three, but I mean, you have the executive branch and the legislative branch. Those are the ones who are involved in creating the legislative branch creates legislation. The executive branch signs the legislation. The court doesn't even touch it unless there is something that brings that legislation before the courts. And they have to consider other legislation, the Constitution, and they got to figure out if there's something that uh, needs to be changed or whatever. Um, what, so you literally have two branches. You could say almost it sounds like here to, to a just a casual observer it's almost like the two branches colluded against the other. We're going to give ourselves a higher level of security than we're going to give you. What is this? And again, these are the same people. I, I just, I, I think this bears repeating. These are the same people who want to tell us that they can determine the level of the waters in the ocean, sea levels in 50 or 100 years, that they can make all inequality in the world go away with a piece of legislation by telling people you can't do it by according to the law that's just going to they're going to snap their metaphorical fingers and that's going to be that's going to be fixed i mean in their minds there is nothing they can't do literally nothing and then you look at this and you think these jokers it is it is remarkable to think how do you get how do you abdicate your basic responsibilities and how is, there a, how is there a difference between providing security for Supreme Court justices, even before this stuff happened, by the way? How, why does it take some dramatic series of circumstances for this to get someone's attention? This is beyond, this, this only happens, this only happens in government. This is just unbelievable to me. It's almost like the executive and legislative branches have gotten together to discriminate against the judicial branch. And they've just now decided to take care of this. Remarkable stuff. Quick time out, my friends. Back in a minute. Welcome back, my friends. Waning moments of today's program. We have Biden's minister of truth out there, who I've now started thinking I'm going to call what is her first Nina? Weird Nita Yankovic in honor of Weird Al Yankovic. Some of the stuff she says. But she's actually, I don't, I've got the sound bite, but I just don't have time to get to it. She's actually out there <laughs> saying that people on Twitter who are most likely to be censored are, I'll give you a second to guess, wait for it. Yes, liberals. Liberals, she says, are more likely to be censored by social media than are conservatives. This, of course, is our minister of truth who is devoting her life to making sure that you and I only hear truth as the government decides it is. Anyway, folks, thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. STG. Did you know